0: So, just to recap for you all, just what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. Uh, We we started a series rightfully called The Summit, just to kind of give you an idea of where we were going as a youth ministry, and also just talk about just what we see in Philippians chapter 3. And so to recap, we said that two weeks ago that our eyes should always be set on who? remember? Set our eyes on who? See, if, if you give me the church answer, like... 50% 50% of the time, it's either going to be God, 50% of the time, it's going to be Jesus. I mean, like, that's just pretty, like, you have a 100% chance of getting, getting it right because they're the same person. You know, it's 50, you, know, you get it. Yeah. Some of you look really confused. Yeah, so he's, two weeks ago, we said that our eyes should be fixed on Jesus, that in the grand scheme of things, that the ultimate goal in life, the ultimate goal that we should be striving for was to know Christ, to not just know who he is, but to know a lot about him. It's like, I know some of you guys, uh... When you go walk around school, you see a pretty young lady. You're like, I want to know her. And you're like, you know, you want to know a lot of things about her, but you also just want to, like, know her and date her. And you you start thinking, I want to marry this girl. Like, yeah, slow down. Just slow down. Right? You're only 16, 15, 13, 12. Right? But you said, I want to know Christ. Paul wants to know who Christ is. He wants to know what it's like to suffer with him. He wants to know what it's like to be united with him. So he says he wants to know Christ, be found in Christ. And the last thing they said was he wanted to be made like Christ, that the ultimate goal in life was to see Christ face to face, and then all of us would be restored to be made just like him. That's an awesome transition there. ADD, sorry. <laughs> that was cool. I wondered how it did that. And then we said last week we started off with, I'm not there yet. Sorry. Back up a little bit. There we go. So he said that the ultimate goal was to know Christ, be found in Christ, and be made like Christ. And then last week we said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul starts off this sentence, and he says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal that lies ahead. And we said that Paul in that statement addressed three different things. He said he addressed the past. But Paul says, In my past, there's a lot of things I want to forget. And then he says, my future, I want to strain forward to what lies ahead. Obviously, if you want to go somewhere, you should probably be looking to where you're going. Paul had his idea of where he wanted to go, and that was his future with Christ. And then he said the third thing was his present. Not only did he want to forget what lied behind, he wanted to strain to what lies ahead. Currently, he was pressing on. Remember, last week we talked about that runner who was given every single ounce of energy that he had to go forward, to move forward towards the goal ahead of us. So, with that being said, short story, I love stories, and I like telling stories of my stupidity. It's usually sometimes the best example that I can give you. Zach's nodding his head either because he has short stories of that same stupidity, or he says, I have a lot of stories that I am stupid. I don't know which one he's agreeing to. Both. All right. So in 2012, I was a student at Marshall University, and every single weekend, I spent my weekend hiking somewhere, Uh, multiple different places, Either at Beach Fork State Park, which I don't recommend because it's called the Lost Trail, and one time I got lost on it, and a week later it was closed because another family got lost. Hence the name Lost Trail. But uh, also go to this place called Lake Vesuvius. If you know where Huntington is, it's in Ironton, Ohio, just across the river. And I took my my, my cousin-in-law. I know it's not a real term. But I don't know if that is, but he's my cousin-in-law named Matt. And so Matt and I go out hiking. We left around eight o'clock in the morning, and we get out to Lake Vesuvius in Ohio, and it's just like a simple trail, like anybody could hike it. I was going to say anybody. All I don't mean by anybody. I mean like any stature, any age. It was so simple. We were really disappointed. You get out there and it's beautiful lake and it's little tiny gravel trails. is flat, almost like walking around the city park, right? And then I see a sign that says backpacking trail to the right. I'm like, heck yeah, let's go. And we just take off running up this hill, up this backpacking trail, which the, the Lakeshore Trail was only five miles. What we didn't realize was the backpack trail was 16 miles, and what we also didn't realize was that just weeks prior, they had a giant ice storm that just destroyed all the trees. And what they had to do, they came through with chainsaws and all this kind of stuff, and there's just trees piled up everywhere. And we're walking along this trail and we're looking at different stuff. And we're the kind of people that when you're hiking, all of a sudden you see something interesting, you just take off running into the woods. Anybody like that? No? Thank you, one person. It's a really stupid idea because what do you what do you end up losing? The trail. What'd you say? My life, (laughs) (laughs) maybe. (laughs) Yeah, if you ever seen 127 hours, I guess it's kind of true. Uh, Anyways, so we take off hiking hiking on this backpacking trail, and we come across—I'm not even kidding—I say this: this 60 yard wide, 60 yard wide, probably 30 feet high stack of trees that had fallen over on top of the trail, and we're like, you know, what do you? We've already, like, gone in, like, a few miles. Like, do we just keep going? Do we, like, crawl over it? Do we go back to the stupid trail that anybody can do? Like, what do we do? And so we had the bright idea of jumping over, climbing through this. And it's probably, like, 45 feet deep. And so with the video camera, which I wish I had the video, but every time I watch it, I get sick because we're, like, throwing it to each other. So it's just, like, shaking all over the place. We start climbing up over top of all these trees and, like, falling through them and uh, just trying to get back on the trail. But well, we get back to the other side, and guess what? It's not there the trail. How in the world, in that little space, did we lose it? No idea. Then I look over my right and I see a trail, and I thought, there it is. Well, I didn't realize that there was a third trail. So we get on that one, and we take off hiking again. It's now been about five hours since we left. I was smart enough, because of the movie 127 Hours, I left a note on our windshield, said, my name is Scott, this is Matt, we are hiking, if we're not back by our car by this point, call the cops. Like, I was smart enough to do that. And I also really should put, don't rob my car. But anyways, so I take off hiking on this third trail, and we just keep going, keep going, keep going. And now, if you're walking around the trail, and you start, and the lake's on your left, and you know it's a circular lake, where should the lake always be? Right, so it should make sense that eventually you're going to get back to your car, right? Well, we're not getting back to our car. Have no, It's still on my left, but we're not getting back to the car. And all of a sudden, we come across this horse farm. Oh, backtrack. This is actually, I missed one. Key aspect. Of this is probably the best part of the entire story. I hear people. I'm like, finally, civilization. And it's not the people I wanted to see because there was two people skinny dipping in a little pond off the lake. And I like look over. I'm like, nope. Like, we're like, we're we're dead lost. Like this is this is bad. Like we have no idea where we are, and it's getting dark. And I'm like, I am not asking them for help. So we just and we take a ride afterwards. Then we find the main road. I think it was the main road. We find this road, and I'm like, well, if the lake has always been on the left, we've been going in a circle, technically we should go left. Made sense. Logic. Start walking and walking. A couple more miles on this road, to, that's when we finally come to the horse farm, and we see a map of Lake Vesuvius State Park. We're like, finally. And it says, you are here. I'm like, okay, we're parked over here. I did the math. 12 and a half miles, that we had been hiking for almost 10 hours. Here's the great idea that we had. Well, there's a trail that goes straight back. There's a horse trail. Like, well, let's go back to the horse trail. And just watch out for manure, right? Okay, I give horses a lot of credit because that hill was like this. We got a quarter of a mile and our legs were burning. We turned around and walked back to the horse farm because we saw a bunch of guys with horses. And we're like, well, ask for a ride. And we're walking back down the hill and all of a sudden you, you hear four or five cars start up and, again, it felt like we just did a half marathon. Our legs are dead. We sprint as much as we can. Look more like most of you are all speed walking. But we were sprinting, and all these trucks are pulling out. And I'm like, I have no idea where we are. And all of a sudden, I look back, and there's one truck remaining. And, and when I say redneck Santa Claus, <laughs> that's where this guy is. And I walk up. He's got two little girls. I said, hey, this is where we're parked. He goes, oh, yeah, that's like 10 miles down the road. I'm like, yeah, I know. He goes, can you give us a ride? He goes, you can hop back in the back of the truck with dog. I was like, with dog? He goes, yeah, my dog. I was like, what's his name? Dog. <laughs> all right. I look back, and I'm not even kidding. There is literally 500 beer cans in the back of this truck. We're like, I don't care at this point. I hope you're sober, but this road's not that you know, populated, so hopefully you just get us back alive. We hop back in the truck, get back. It was the worst day of my life of hiking. It was awful. But all it started was when I finally took my eyes off of what? the trail. When I looked, took my eyes off of where I wanted to go, I started wandering around and I started getting lost, right? And all these things, the trees, the nudists all all these different things were like keeping me from where I was wanting to go, but also came back to taking my eyes off the where I was wanting to go, off the goal. And the, what we're talking about in this series is that there is this goal that we were trying to get to, but we spend most of our lives just wandering around in circles, trying to find aimlessly where we're where we're trying to get to, and sometimes even when we get our eyes set on that goal, what happens? We get distracted, right? We see another trail. We go off of that one. We get, we have suffering in our life. We lose a loved one. Families fall apart. Something happens to you physically. All these distractions, all these different things, all these trials and suffering in your life takes your eyes off of that goal, and you start wandering around aimlessly just trying to figure out how to even just get back on the right path, Right? And what I want to tell you all tonight, this is a quote from a man named Levi Luska. If you listen to Caleb, they quote him all the time. He's like the, key, he's like the cool pastor right now. He says, The more you look forward to the next world, the less you will need from this world. That's what I want you guys to take away from everything I say tonight. The more you look forward to the next world, meaning when you look into eternity, when you look towards Jesus, the more you look forward to him, the less you guys will ever need from this world. And what I mean by that is, if you look to Jesus, the less you'll need of the statuses in your life, the less you'll need of the success in your life, the less you'll need of the trials in your life, all of that will fall short in comparison to what is ahead. And so to continue in Philippians chapter 3, uh, we're going to look again at Paul, and I'm going to read just the same verses we've been reading every single week for the last three weeks, starting in verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. This is where we're going to spend the rest of the time. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and strain toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. What did Paul just say? To go forward, what must I do first? Let go of the past. Thank you, Emma. You're done. Amen. Just kidding. We must forget what lies behind. Paul, we kind of talked about this a while ago, a couple weeks ago. Paul had a lot of things to be proud of. You ever met somebody who just has always the opportunity to one-up you? You know what I'm talking about? I love it when pastors get around each other. Me, Tony, and Brett don't do this. We're perfect. But uh, when pastors get get around each other, they one-up each other. And it's really entertaining. Which seminary did you go to? I went to Southern. Oh, I went to Eastern. I didn't go to seminary. Like, then you get, well, how many people in your congregation? 60. How many in yours? 5,000. Well, mine actually attend and love going here. Well, mine I still have more money. Like, the pastors do it all the time. They one-up each other, right? Paul is face-to-face with all these Jewish Christians, these people who had come to faith in Christ, but they're still struggling with their old identity because of their Jewish faith. And he is basically one-upping them right now. He says, because of what you have had in your life, because of the success that you've had, I could do more. Because, he says, I, if there was ever an example of a Jew, I was the prime example of what a Jew should look like. He says, I was it. I was a Pharisee. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I followed the law the way it was supposed to be. I had all the confidence in the world. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a zealous Pharisee. I persecuted the church for the law. I was righteous righteous and blameless. He says, but I gained nothing from that. Like he said, if there was ever a status as a Pharisee that anybody ever wanted to reach, I reached it. You guys have no confidence, but I, sh- I, have, I would have had the confidence. But I'm refusing to accept it because all that stuff, what did he call it? Anybody notice? I counted all as what? Lost. And then the very next word, I think it says, he ended up calling it rubbish. Here, yeah, verse 9. He says, I count, or verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. If you read the message translation, it says dog dung. Scott's translation, crap. Everything that I have obtained, every status I've ever been given, everything that I've ever done as a Pharisee, everything I've ever done as a good Jewish man, I count it all as lost. it's not worth it for, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing who Christ Jesus is. And then yet, he's looking at only for the success in his life. If you think about this, he's only talking about success. But if you know the story of Paul, he had every single reason to forget about the negatives in his life, right? What was his name before Paul? Saul. What did he do? He had killed people. And you may say he didn't actually kill them. No, but he held the cloaks for the people who took stones and threw them at people. He dragged Christians out of their home. He had every single reason why he should forget his past. But he wasn't just forgetting all the negative things, he's also forgetting all the good things in his life too. Was it wrong that he was a good Jewish boy? No. Was it wrong that he became a Pharisee? No. But he said all that stuff is rubbish. He put the good and the bad in the same category and called it rubbish against the surpassing worth of knowing who Christ Jesus was. But now you and I can both know that everything in your life, is it hard to forget stuff? It's easy to forget keys, right? Anybody with me? No, just kidding. <laughs> that was just for you adults. If only you all at Winter Treat really knew the stress that happened that night. No, but think about it. Look back over your life, the good, the bad. It's, easy to, it's hard to forget some things, especially the bad things, right? It's hard, to, it's hard to move past some of the bad things that have happened in your life. It's hard to look past some of the th- things that people have done to you. It's hard to do that. But Paul says, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. That's pretty simple words. I forget what lies behind and I move forward. Forgive and forget is what he's saying. But he's not just saying, I've, I've completely forgotten about him. What he's talking about is this idea. If you ever think about just amnesia, you know what amnesia is? Where you just forget everything, you don't know what's going on. It's, think about this being more selective amnesia. I know a lot of you all have that. Selective amnesia. I say, hey, did I tell you this? No. You sure? Yeah, no. Like, you know, I'm talking about selective amnesia. You're not really paying attention. This is a little different, but he said selective and am I'm, I'm choosing to forget what was in my past. I'm choosing to forget what was behind me. I'm choosing to forget the struggles. I'm choosing to forget the sorrows. I'm choosing to forget the status and the success for the sole purpose of I can look forward. Because if I look forward, that's where I want to go. If I look backwards, I'm not going to go anywhere. Why did he want to do this? Why would Paul want to forget? Because honestly, if you're going to go forward, you have to get rid of the things that are behind you. Otherwise, you're not running and liberating freedom. You're not truly free if you're clinging on to something that's behind you, good or bad. You're not truly free and running. You're being dragged down. I've, I've said this before. Who, you remember going to like school carnivals? We had the giant inflatables and the one that had the giant bungee cord attached to your back, you know what I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about? And you take off sprinting, all of a sudden just, you just go flying backwards. You are not going to run in freedom with that thing still attached to you, right? You're not going to surpass that end of that inflatable. You're never going to reach that goal because it's going to keep pulling you back every single time. It's time to cut the cord. Is what Paul is saying here. It's time to run in liberating freedom. Here's, what, here's three things I want to say to you all. First, when you don't forget the sins of the past, you will never enjoy real forgiveness. You will never enjoy real forgiveness. And that's, I'm going to say two things with that. Because the first instance that most people think of is when people sin against you. When someone's wronged you, right? And it's hard to forgive people. Would you all agree? On, sometimes it depends on what they do, but a lot of times it's hard to forgive people. I've had a lot of people do things to me, and I'm still having trouble forgiving some of those things. But Paul's not just talking about stuff being done to you. He's also talking about the very stuff that he did that he needs to forgive himself. Because in my in my honest opinion, it is a lot harder to forgive myself than it is to forgive other people. I have done a lot of stupid stuff in my life. I'm only 26. Hopefully, I'm a fourth of the way there. Hopefully. I don't know. 100. Whatever That would be really old. I don't know if I want to go that far. But hopefully, I can you know, move past some of the things I've done in 26 years, but if you think about in 100 and some years, think about how much stupid stuff I'm going to do. If, I, if, if Katie and I both lived to be 100, that would be like 75 years of marriage. That's going to be a lot of stupid stuff I've done. A lot of times putting my foot in my mouth. A lot of times messing up, right? It's so hard to forgive myself, it's so hard to forgive other people. What Paul's saying here is that if you can't forget the sins in the past, if you can't forgive yourself, you can't forgive one another, you are not really going to experience what forgiveness really means. Because when you start interacting with those people later on in life, you ever had those awkward moments like Kroger when you walk in? It's Kroger, by the way, not Kroger's. Get that right. It's Kroger. When you walk into Kroger and you're like, oh, that guy's here, and you are like, you see someone from your past who's done something wrong to you, and you quickly like beeline it the other different direction so you don't have to make a conversation with them, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, if that's like me, which just happened a couple years ago, I hadn't seen the person in over a year. That person was still controlling my life. Even though what they did to me in my life happened a couple years prior. I was not really living in forgiveness. I was not really living in freedom. The second thing I want to tell you all is this. When you don't forget your shortcomings of your past, you will never overcome your weakness. never going to do it. If you always spend all your time worrying about what you've done, where's, where's Kendrick? Kendrick's coaching PHS soccer this year. He's, assistant, he's a JV coach. Go Big Reds. I know you went to Warren, but it's okay. You come to the bright side. Uh, he's worked with a guy named Coach Fossman. Coach Fossman started the program in 1988. He was national coach of the year just a year or two ago. He's an amazing coach, and he did a lot of things to me that I used to have to plug my ears when he yelled at me, but like, he would say a lot of things. I mean, the biggest thing I ever took away from Coach Fossman was this. If you worry, if you spend your entire time worrying about making mistakes, you're going to make mistakes every single time. That's true. If, you, if your entire goal, I'm not going to sin, guess what you're going to do in probably like five minutes? Sin. It's the honest truth. And he says, if you don't forget your shortcomings of your past, if you don't forget those, you're never going to overcome them. You're never going to overcome your weakness. You're never going to be able to move on from them because you're always going to be worrying about those weaknesses in your life. You're always going to worry about what you've done, and then you're, all of a sudden you're worried about what you've done, and you're probably going to repeat it over and over and over again. I have had the conversation with God many times. This is the last time I'm going to do this. 26, later, 26 years later, this is the last time I'm going to do this. Because if I cannot forget what I have used to do, I'm just going to keep doing them over and over again. I'll never be able to overcome them. The third thing, final thing I want you to know, those two are both negatives. This one's a positive. When you don't forget the success of your past, you'll never live in victory or abundance. Because not only was Paul talking about the negative things in his life, but he's also talking about these good things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you all out here. I know I'm, gonna, this is, I'm throwing some stones here. WVU fans. Actually, I probably shouldn't do that. Cincinnati Reds. We'll go with the Reds. I love Cincinnati Reds fans. They're probably my favorite opposing fans at all of sports. I'm a Cardinals fan. They think that we're rivals. We're actually not. Uh, we've been cu- we've been fans. Of the- we've been rivals with the Cubs for 95 years. You know. They won a championship. What year? Anybody know? 1990. They still live and act like they did it last year. I don't get it. Oh yes, it is. It is true. They're like, I, you're not that good. We won in 1990. I'm like, I was born in 91. That means they haven't, I have never experienced them winning the title, right? I was gonna say, see, I would say that about WV fans, but you haven't won anything yet. But just throwing it out there, stir that pot. You did win a rifle championship. That's pretty cool. And their mascot shot a bear with a musket. That's also pretty awesome. Listen, but listen, if you're always, this is something I heard recently, think about this, if you're celebrating what you accomplished five years ago still, you're not growing. If you're celebrating what happened 10 years ago, in this case, 27 years ago, you're not really moving forward. If you're celebrating something that you used to do, there's really no part of your life you're not actually growing because all, all you're doing is constantly looking backwards, wishing that you could go backwards. And when you do that, what you're saying is that my life right now is not good enough or what I'm experiencing in my life now right now is not worth it because this back here was better. This back here was the best. Uh, I've quoted this a lot recently, and I love this. I shared this with Dylan the other day. The greatest theologian in modern-day sports... Colin Coward, he's a great man who left ESPN, went for Fox Sports, and caused the mass exodus. He says, we put alternative endings on reality. When we look back on the things that we used to love, we said, that was awesome. But if you really, truly really look back at it, it may not have actually been that great. You might look back on a relationship that you guys had when you were in like elementary school. Well, I remember when I dated this kid. Yeah, it really wasn't that much of a relationship. But you might think, that was amazing, was it? You might look back, adults, you might look back on your glory days. Were they really that glorious? We put alternative endings on reality, and we make them look better than what they really are. We're constantly looking backwards. When you don't forget success, you will never be able to live in the abundance and the victory that you currently have. Because if you're trying to build up success, you already are successful because you have Christ Jesus in your life. Throwing that out there. You already are victorious. To close this part out, I want to go to John chapter 4. And this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. The very first time I ever got to preach a sermon in my life, this is what I got to preach on, and I absolutely love this story. Just prior to this, in John chapter 3, Jesus was just performing some signs and miracles, and a guy named Nicodemus. Anybody know what Nicodemus did for a living? My Wednesday Bible study people? Same thing that Paul was. What was he? There you go, Pharisee. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He knew all the Jewish traditions. He knew all the Jewish prophets. He knew everything about Jesus. But then he comes to Jesus at night. He came in secret to ask Jesus some questions. And Jesus starts telling him, hey, you must be born again. And this guy's like, I can't crawl back up in my mother's womb. How does that even make sense? Scripture says that. That's not my language. Scripture says that. He's so confused. And in the next chapter, the person who should never understand this story, the person who should never get this, he meets this woman in Samaria. If you know anything about Samaritans, Jews considered them half-breeds. They were mixed with Jews and other, relig- other religions around the world. They were no longer pure. They were considered unclean. If they were going to Judea, which was the northern kingdom, as Judea, Jerusalem, and Samaria, right in the middle, they would go out of their way just to not go through Samaria. They hated them. It says, very verse 1, Now when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making baptizing more disciples, and we actually skip to verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. It says he had to pass through it. Jesus went out of his way to make a statement, I am going to go through Samaria. He goes through Samaria, and he goes right to this place that was known as Jacob's Well, which was given to him back in Genesis chapter 22, I believe. He, Jacob's Well, he goes there around noon. Now you guys who have ever actually done manual labor in your life, when is the time that you should do it? Morning or evening. Why? It's cooler. When is the last time you want to go? When's the hottest point of the day? Noon. Noon. Right around noon, one o'clock. He goes to the well right around noon, and while he's sitting there, this woman comes to him. Now, in in that time period, what did a man not do in public? Talk to who? Women. This woman comes up. She's carrying this giant pot to collect water. I'm not talking about a little water bottle. She's probably carrying this giant pot to get, bring water back to her home for dishes, for all this stuff, for bathing. She's got this giant pot. She brings it to ab- about noon. Why would this woman come at noon? No one's going to be there. If you're coming at noon, chapter 3, back up, back chapter 3. If you're coming at night, you don't want to be seen. If you're coming at noon, you don't want to be interacted with. It's like when I go to Walmart at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? Same thing. She comes through the well at noon. She lays down her well, and she lays down her jar and he sees Jesus there, and they started having this dialogue. It said, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, in verse 7, sorry. She says, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying it to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him for it. And he would have given you living water. Not just water, but living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She says, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as his, did his sons and livestock? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So if you're a woman coming to the well around noon, you don't want to be seen, and a guy says, I'm about ready to give you water that will never make you thirst again, how excited do you think you're going to be? Pretty excited. Why? I'm never going to have to come here again. I'm never going to have to come here in shame. I'm never going to have to do that walk of shame coming here again. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He says in verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you are currently with is not your husband. What you have said is true. Gut punch. He says, I'm, a, I'm offering you living water. You're confused. By the way, go call your husband. Well, that's not my, I, have, I don't have a husband. You actually had five, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. You can see why she's coming to the well around noon. You can see why she's walking in shame. You can see why she does not want to be talking to. She may have had a pretty poor reputation around community, around the town. I promise you, when she was walking around through town, people were saying a lot of nasty things about her, giving her a lot of nasty labels and titles. He keeps going. Verse 21, I'm skipping a couple. Woman, believe in me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him, God is the spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Watch this. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. She had at least a knowledge from Jewish tradition who Jesus was. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When he comes, he's going to tell us all things. This is the very first time Jesus does this. He says... Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The very first person in all of scripture, Jesus reveals himself, reveals his nature, reveals his character, reveals his personhood. He says it to a Samaritan woman. He says, I am he. Just then the disciples came back. They, they excuse me, they marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. What would she leave? And he went away into town and said to people, Come see a man who told me that all I have ever done, ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to him, it is no longer because of what you've said, we believe, for what we have heard from ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The Samaritan woman, the the person who should not have known who Jesus was, understands who Jesus is, and she comes to this well at noon. She leaves what? Her water jar. The very item that could be translated to her shame. She leaves behind the thing that is identified with her shame, the thing that is identified with her life. And where did she go? To go tell people about about Jesus. Did it ever say she went back and picked up that jar? No, it never did that. Because when you don't forget the sins of the past, you'll never enjoy true forgiveness. She experienced new life at this moment. And also, when you don't forget your shortcomings of your past, you'll never overcome your weakness. She just overcame her weakness. She's not looking backwards, she's looking forwards. And because of that, it says, many came to believe in Jesus. She ran so fast because of the experience that she had that she left her jar. And this is how I want to close with this. There's a quote from Louis Giglio that's on your paper. It says, you can only put the past behind you as you gaze at the work of Christ. Here's what I mean. If you really want to forget what is behind you, if you truly have something in your life that you need to get rid of, the only way, the only way, a self-help book's not going to do it. Nothing's going to help except for one thing, to look at the finished work of Christ. And we're going to talk about this in a second when we go into communion. If we look backwards at what Jesus did, look back to what he did on the cross, that is the work of Christ. And guess what? What is the very, one of the very last things that Jesus ever screamed out from the cross? Anybody know? it is finished. Everything that you've ever had to do to try to earn salvation, everything that you've ever had to do to earn grace, everything that you've ever had to do to earn anything in this life, it is finished. Because Jesus says, I am going to give you salvation. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to offer this to you. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. I'm giving it to you. I'm extending this offer to you. The work that you must do is finished. The sacrifices, they're done. The work that you must do in this world is done it is finished. You can look upon the cross. You can look back at the night that he bowed down, washed his disciples' feet, broke bread together, drank of this cup together, and then he went to the cross the next day. You look back to that and you say, that is why I am free. That is why I'm redeemed. That is why I'm reconciled. That is why I'm restored. And that's why we celebrate communion.